Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Matt Miller, our managing editor, and I are going to talk about some of our favorite bikes and gear of 2023. So what do you think of 2023, Matt? A lot of good new gear? Was it a slow gear year? What's kind of your perception looking back? I think it was a slower gear year, um, just because of the nature of um, the bike industry right now is that it's, it's not doing so hot. And for that reason, I feel like brands are kind of, well, one, they're already sitting on so much inventory that it's, I feel like it's hard to justify coming out with more product that probably Mm -hmm. isn't going to sell a lot this year. So in terms of like notable releases, I think it's been a much slower year. And then personally, it's been one of the slower years as far as even bike testing for me. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I noticed that looking back, like we didn't test nearly as many bikes this year. And yeah, I was trying to figure out why, like, I don't think I didn't ride any less for sure. Uh, I probably traveled more this year than I have in a few years, but yeah, it was, yeah, it felt like maybe there weren't as many bikes available for testing possibly. I don't know, because like you said, the industry is, has had kind of a tough spot here where they've got like an oversupply of bikes. Um, but for whatever reason, not a lot of them made it to us to test. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was definitely a, a peculiar year. Um, you know, I think opportunities came in and out of our inbox and uh, we tested some new bikes at launch, things like that. But yeah, it's it by and large, not as many testing opportunities for whatever reason is, Mm-hmm. even the past couple of years, which is funny because we're out of this pandemic thing for the <laughs> most part. So, right. Right. Yeah. And I guess, you know, a big thing used to be these like big bike launches where they would bring media in to test new bikes out. And again, like we, we went to a few of those uh, this year, but it feels like not as many. And again, that could be like a budgetary thing, or maybe it was, um, I don't know, brands like just moving to this model of like sending test bikes out or who knows. I think everybody's all over the place. But we did get to test, um, in my opinion, some really fun bikes um, and ones that that our readers were really interested in. So let's let's go through some of our favorites. So once you started off, Matt, what was, what was one of your favorite bikes that you tested this year? Hmm. Well, gosh, yeah, I... I think if I could pick a favorite, so to clarify, I only reviewed four, I think, mm-hmm. which, yeah, I mean, there's some years in the past where I've reviewed like 10 bikes in a yeah. year. So um, it was nice to actually get more of a break from that this year. Yeah, my favorite bike that I think I tested this year was the Canyon Spectral with the uh, mm. Kiss the uh, keep it stable steering stabilizer. Uh, so I had that contraption on it, and then it was also a mixed wheel build. And then uh, you know it came with uh, Rockshox coil shock, uh, SRAM axis, um, not the uh, transmission, but regular SRAM GX axis, and then a new Lyric with the charger three damper, I believe. Um, so it's, yeah, actually it's just this really notably is really cool build. It looked like a cool bike. I probably got more compliments or more interest from 
mountain bike friends on the look of that bike than I've had um, on any bike in a while. Um, and then just a combination of like the coil shock kind of being like a mid travel 150, 160 build and the mixed wheel build uh, made it a really, really fun bike uh, to ride, at least for mm-hmm. these trails uh, around here in Colorado. Yeah, that looked like an awesome bike. I'm jealous that you got to test it. I think we both got like the email from Canyon yeah. or the PR people or whoever that was like, hey, do you want to try this? And you beat me to it, I think, on that <laughs> one because, yeah, I I wanted to test it for sure. The build, I mean, it's, it's all about the build really for me because, yeah, I mean, I've I've ridden Spectrals before and Canyon is, is weird because there's like so many Spectrals yeah. now. I think just because it's like a really you know, middle of the road, like trail bike. And so people want to see it different ways with 29er wheels or 27.5 or, you know, a little extra travel. So yeah, that was, that was a super interesting build that you got to test. Yeah. And I think the biggest part of the build for me came down to it being a mixed wheel and then it having a coil shock in the rear. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things that set it apart. I think you even said in the review, I would ditch the, all the SRAM and RockShox stuff, even though it it worked great. I would Mm -hmm. trade it out. There is another build for like a thousand dollars less and you get Fox 36 with a grip two and a Fox DHX to shock their their coil shock Mm -hmm. and then a Shimano 12 speed. And it's like 800 bucks less than this SRAM equipped bike. But yeah, the the big things that I I think made that, bike what it was is that it was it was fun it was carvy and slicey and you could just tear up corners with it it was fun to get off the ground and then it was really quiet too and i haven't had a bike that was just so quiet and let you focus on Hmm. riding and on all these other like clanks and noises and stuff coming from coming from the bike so yeah those are the two big big things for me uh on that bike was is quiet it was fun and the mixed wheel build and and having a coil shock were big Hmm. yeah Awesome. Yeah. I think for me, if I had to pick one of my favorites and I've got, I've got like three favorites out of the ones I tested this year, I think I probably tested a half a dozen bikes or so, but my favorite is probably the evil, the following, um, which is a, it's like a shorter travel bike. Some might call it down country. (laughs) Um, it feels like this was like kind of a down country year for us in terms of like what we tested Mm -hmm. and, and actually surprisingly, like what readers seem to be most interested in because, you know, down country as a term or as a topic, like for a while, people kind of turned their noses up at it and made fun of it. But, you know, the more that I've ridden these bikes and maybe others too, uh, the more I've ridden them, the more I enjoy it. And it's like, actually, this is a really good fit for the type of riding that I like to do. So yeah, the, the evil bike was a surprise for me because I guess I just had this perception of their bikes as being like kind of overbuilt and, you know, like real heavy into the like gravity and I don't know, Mm. just not, not the type of riding that I typically do. And so, and I think this bike was a departure for them for sure. Uh, it's their, their shortest travel bike, uh, in the lineup, I believe. And so, yeah, but the bike just, it handled so well. And it was, it was actually the beginning of the year, I think when I tested this one. Um, but it's one of those that I'm still like, ah, kind of wish I still had that bike. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, it's still such a big category. I think that like 120 mil category right now. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, there's something to be said from when you have a bike that is so comfortable and easy to climb on that it's fun to go downhill too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just having something like that. That's, it's great for all around trail riding. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What, uh, so you tested, uh, maybe somewhat similar, but longer travel ish bike, the pivot Mach four SL is that, would, would you call that one a down country bike? Hmm. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Cause they have that. And then they have the trail, uh, four, two, nine, which would be, I think that's a one twenty one thirty bike, mm. but the Mach four SL, what they did to it this year was took it from being a hundred mil travel bike with, well, you could pick it with a 100 mil or 120 mil fork. And then they change it to mm-hmm. where it has two shock settings. So you can have it in 120 mode with a 120 fork for basically all around trail riding. Mm-hmm. And you can also change it back to a hundred mil shock setting, which mm. after experiencing, I wouldn't, I would leave it in the <laughs> 120 mil mode or I might be wrong. I might have 115. It might be 120. I'm confused. It's somewhere <laughs> around there. A lot of yeah. bikes, a lot of bikes, but for sure the longer travel setting was better. And yeah, I guess I would call it, you know, it's, it's just a, a cross country bike. I think for people who normally ride trails and mm-hmm. again, to the point of the evil, something that felt, I mean, one it's, it's light, it's a pivot, it's light and stiff and it pedals well and has a DW link. Mm-hmm. So you can pedal on it all day and it's sharp and responsive. And then it just kind of floats over chunk and flows and carves mm-hmm. and all the things you'd want out of a really light, agile trail bike too. So that one, I went to the camp for down in Cortez and we rode uh, two days of Phil's world, which is all this fast flowy mm-hmm. kind of yeah. uh, high desert riding. And it ended up being the perfect bike for it. You know, windy, flowy cross country trails with punchy ups and downs. And uh, it's just one of those bikes where you can, mm-hmm. you can stay on the gas the whole time. And if you're on a flat section or a short climb, you can just pedal and pedal and pedal. And then it keeps its speed once you start going downhill too. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was a really, really fun bike. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think what's, what's funny about down country is I think a lot of times like as consumers and even as, you know, writers and test pilots, we want to look at a bike and just look at the travel and be like, Oh, that's, it's got 110, it's got 120, like that's going to determine if it's a down country bike, but really, you know, a lot of it, it's, it's like the sum of all the parts, right? right? It's the build, it's the geometry. And I think for me, what I really appreciate are the bikes where, the geometry is like more relaxed and a little more tending toward that, like longer travel, uh, geometry that you would see, but with less travel and, you know, obviously a lot, a lot, sometimes less weight, uh, which is, is fun and makes it more toward the like cross country side. Um, so one of the bikes I tested the Canyon Lux trail, um, is, I, I don't want to put words in Canyon's mouth, but I feel like they probably said down country in some of their marketing materials mm. for this bike. But, um, you know, what they did was they took a cross country bike, the Lux, like a cross country race bike, um, and basically gave it a little more travel. Um, didn't really adjust the geometry much, if at all. Um, and so I really enjoyed that bike 
too, testing that over uh, the spring, but I wouldn't call it down country. Like it yeah. was more like a, just a cross country bike that you don't have to race on. Like it's not, it's obviously not designed to be like super efficient and fast and racy. Hmm. Um, but it's more for like a casual, casual rider who likes to put in a lot of miles and doesn't mind, you know, pedaling for most of them. So um, yeah, it's interesting to see that difference between like where brands are taking these categories. Yeah. Did it seem like there's a big enough distinction between that bike and what's, I think you own it, right? The next up, the Kenyans trail bike. Yeah. The neuron. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's really different, but again, like maybe not necessarily the travel. I, I think the geometry is pretty different. You know, the head angles, probably a couple degrees slacker mm -hmm. on the neuron, but the biggest thing, at least the neuron that I ended up with is it's just a heavy bike. Like the Lux trail, okay. I think they're, you know, even their, their heaviest build is going to be like pounds lighter than, than the neuron that I have. So, and like, yeah, the thing that threw me off on the Lux trail was like the, the lockouts, like it has a remote yeah, lockout yeah. for the shock and the fork. And it's like, I haven't seen one of those outside of a race bike in a long time. Right. So it's, it's kind of, it's touches like that that make you think like, okay, this isn't, this isn't just for like riding trails and like just messing around. This is, this is for people who are a little more serious and like want to ride fast and efficient a lot more. So. Yeah. The, Mach 4 SL had a uh, grip shift too, where you could change suspension modes on the fly. And mm. I wonder if Canyon's approach to this is similar, but I remember hearing Pivot saying that it's a big demand from the European side of sales mm. to where Europeans are much more likely to want that kind of adjustability on the fly in a bike yeah. off the, off the showroom. Yeah. I wonder why, like, do they race more, you think, or are they just more serious riders or they know something we don't know yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah just something i guess it's more normal normal out there <laughs> yeah i've i've heard that too and that makes a lot of sense that that's something and yeah especially canyon being a, a german brand mm -hmm. i'm sure they know they know what they're doing more than than i do when it comes to that bike so yeah i'll give them that yeah and and so with that it's when you're talking about weight are they sticking with like Fox 32 and RockShox sit on that versus a, a 34 on the neuron. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. The neuron is, is more in like the middle of the trail mm -hmm. spectrum, you know, cause I think they pushed like for a while, I considered the spectral to be sort of their like middle trail bike. Um, but over the years they've kind of pushed that one to be more all mountain. It seems yeah. like, you know, where to like, it feels like just the trail category is, is getting bigger, right? Like brands want to fit where they used to put maybe one or two models in to the trail category. Now they've got like three or four. And right. so, yeah, they're trying to distinguish like this one's down country, this one's trail, this one's all mountain. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's kind of like shifting goalposts. Right. Never ending categorization of mountain bikes. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. What other bikes did you test, uh, this year and what do you think about them? Well, the, so the first bike I 
tested this year, jumping back a little bit, was the second version of Rebels Ranger, which, uh, hmm. yeah, I'm not even going to say the word anymore. It's their, uh, you know, 115 mil bike with uh, 120 mil fork. So it blends cross country attributes and, and trail bike attributes. <laughs> but yeah, so the second version is interesting. And it seems like this is Rebels' approach to their bikes. And, and to their credit, they've had some you know, they've released a lot of great bikes just right off the bat, uh, from the start of their company. Mm -hmm. And so with the second version of the Ranger, it was, they beefed up some of, um, the bearing and, and bearing hardware, uh, pivot points mm -hmm. and may have tweaked the suspension kinematics slightly. Uh, and then there's new colors and that it's SRAM EDH compatible. And, and so that was the first bike I, mm. I tested this year and, you know, they call it a V2. It's a, a very slight changes from the first version, but it was uh, a great cross country trail bike. Yeah. And then I ended up reviewing it. This is a bike I bought actually. It was the Canfield Lithium, which it's been out a couple years. And I got the inspiration to buy that bike from reviewing a Canfield a couple years ago. Mm. And so. That same bike, was it a lithium that you reviewed? No, it was a tilt. Um, so it was their trail bike okay. and the lithiums, <clears throat> their enduro bike. Yeah. So those are the four bikes I, I mostly tested. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This, it can be nice to ride your own bikes. And, and also, you know, it should be said that I'm sure your, your lithium, like at the beginning of the year, looks a lot different than it does right now. Cause you're always yeah. like putting different parts on and swapping stuff out, trying different things. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's almost like two different bikes. Yeah. And, uh, like you said, I, I think that was one of my goals is just to ride my own bikes more this year, which, you know, if you get a new bike, you're usually that's, that's what you want to do is spend time on it. <laughs> and, uh, For sure. so yeah. it was nice to be able to do that. Cause I got a new bike at the end of last year as well. So yeah, I get to <laughs> spend more time with my own bikes, which is cool. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so one of the bikes I tested this year that I ended up really liking another one is, is actually a gravel bike and we don't test a lot of gravel bikes, but yeah, if it works out, yeah, we'll take them in mm -hmm. and especially ones that are going to be more appealing to mountain bikers like us, right? Like, bikes you can take on single track and the one that i checked out i think i checked out more than one but the one that i really liked was the the Jameis renegade and this is uh you know Jameis is a brand that tends to be a, like the more affordable end of the spectrum yeah um they have some some pretty inexpensive bikes and you know all the way up to i would say like the mid-range um and the renegade has got to be one of their most popular ones uh, just, I think, because gravel's popular, but also because people are still at the point where they don't want to spend a lot on a gravel bike. But the one that I chose to review is like their most mountain bikey gravel bike. So this one's like chromoly steel. Um, it had like the biggest tires on it of any of their builds. And yeah, it was just a blast to, to test that bike. I used it a lot, uh, sort of like early winter well, all through the winter, actually rode it a lot when I wasn't mountain biking and uh, did use it for like training for the hurricane uh, bikepacking trip that I did in February. But yeah, the, the Renegade, it was really impressive. It had like a Shimano GRX uh, back when GRX was only 11 speed. 
But yeah, super reliable drivetrain and everything. Yeah, that was another one of those bikes that I'm kind of missing and like, ah, oh, I kind of want to go back to that bike. <laughs> yeah, and I, I feel like um, a couple of years ago when gravel was becoming a newer thing or maybe just a, a more established thing, you were a little bit skeptical about gravel bikes and <laughs> I, I feel like you hadn't warmed up to them completely. But mm, yeah, yeah. do you think um, after spending time on, on more gravel bikes, like, do you have a different perspective on them? For sure. Yeah. I mean, so the, the Renegade, I, I rode it on a lot of single track actually. And yeah, I mean, for me, a lot of my rides were kind of at the same trails. Like I don't, I don't get to travel outside of like work travel, you know, like flying somewhere to go ride. I don't like go too far away on the weekends. And so a lot of the trails tend to get a little boring because you've, you've ridden them so many times but sure i feel like on a gravel bike yeah it it makes it just makes things a lot more fun and you can access more trails um because i love being able to just like ride to a ride I hate wasting time <laughs> driving to a trailhead so if i can if i can ride there i'm going to do that but yeah it's funny you say that because about my opinions changing because actually i've started started like researching gravel bike geometry mm -hmm. like kind of looking at yeah just like what is a what is an average head angle on a gravel bike or c-tube angle and what i've quickly determined is you know people joke like oh gravel bikes are just 90s mountain bikes they're actually like early 2000 mountain bikes oh. <laughs> they're they're even more capable than i guess we realized they're much farther away from road bikes, at least than I thought they yeah, were, right? Yeah. Like they look very road bikey, but yeah, just starting to dive into the geo, it's like, Hmm, this is actually like, yeah, this would have been, this would have been a capable mountain bike, like not that long ago. So yeah. Interested to see, like I'd, every time I test one though, I'm like, Oh, it'd be nice if this had a little suspension. <laughs> right. Definitely want to want a dropper post on this. So yeah, I would say, say my opinions evolving, but I, I definitely don't hate gravel bikes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the position of them on single track can be really fun and engaging too. And being over the drop bars and just, mm -hmm. I don't know, flicking the levers and yeah. just, yeah, getting in the drops and, and parts of the trail. And it can just be a, a really engaging experience compared to being on flat bars sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Yep. So yeah, I, I definitely won't shy away from testing more gravel bikes this year um, or next year as it were. Yeah. And then, so there are a couple of bikes too that I saw this year, but didn't get to test that, that seemed really interesting. Yeah. You know, I'm also a hardtail fan. And so that transition Trans Am yeah. is a very cool bike like that, that they brought back. Yeah. Can't, can't get enough hardcore hardtails. And then Diamondback came out with finally came out with their Yowie <laughs> right. short travel trail bike, which yeah, getting back to that down country topic or short travel trail, if you prefer, that definitely looks like a good one. Cause Diamondback is obviously a brand that reaches a lot of people, newer riders and um, yeah, more like budget conscious riders. And so it's kind of a big deal for them to have a bike like that. So I, I'm definitely curious to know, how it rides and, and yeah, what it's like. Yeah. And it took them, I mean, 
gosh, it took them a while to even release it. I remember seeing prototypes mm-hmm. probably two years ago and then it sort of released in the spring and I've yet to see any reviews on the bike yet. Mm-hmm. And we haven't talked to them about, I mean, we've talked to them about reviewing whenever it's ready, but still haven't heard that they're ready. <laughs> so, yeah. um, yeah, I, I mean, they just, yeah, it's, it's taken them a very long time to get to a point where they can even release the bike. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'd have to look and go on and see if you could actually buy one online or yeah, wherever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I don't remember the last thing we wrote about it. I thought maybe we said you could order it, but maybe not. Yeah. It is strange that it hasn't come out and I'm sure they're like everybody else have a ton of older models that they need to sell first before they can start putting, putting newer stuff out. So we'll see. Yeah. We got to keep trying, keep bugging them, see if they'll send us one. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be fun to check out. Yeah. And then, yeah, there were a couple of bikes from last and last isn't a brand that I'm super familiar with. Uh, it's a European based brand, but we've covered them a few times this year. They had various bike releases, but their latest ones, the last coal and uh, I forget what the other one was, but the coal is like an enduro bike, but it's alloy and it's like a really nice build, really like clean and simple. I don't know what it is. Like I'm, I feel like this year I've gotten much more into like alloy bikes than carbon. And maybe that like dates me and makes me, makes me an old guy now, but, (laughs) but yeah, like the bike, the neuron that I bought this year is alloy. And I don't know, there's just something about that that seems like you, you can just have more fun with it and like not worry about, you know, getting rock dings or, I don't know. I I don't want to stress about my bike. I just want to ride it and like have fun. And, you know, if it gets banged up, I'll just like sand it down or (laughs) whatever. Right. Yeah. It's funny you say that, uh, last Wednesday. So yeah, it would have been almost a week ago or a little bit more than a week ago. I went on a ride. This is the night before Thanksgiving with a friend at a local trail. And as we finished up, I was on my Canfield, which is an alloy bike. And I was putting on the rack and the guys next to me were, essentially saying the same thing. One of them hadn't, they said they bought the last alloy bike that Santa Cruz made. I think it was a tall boy um, because they're making only (laughs) carbon now. And Mm. I think one of them was complimenting him on his bike and just saying, you know, there's something about alloy bikes, but maybe it's like the hardtail thing too, where there's just kind of a a romance for simpler technology. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, car- yeah, carbon fiber is, I guess I would call it more complex than alloy. Alloy is a simpler material. Mm-hmm. And full suspension bikes are obviously more complicated than hardtails. But, yeah, maybe it's it's some sort of romance about having or simplifying mountain bikes where you can. Right. Yeah. And it's a complicated thing for sure. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> I'm not hard on either side because... I do like lightweight bikes. And like I said, that, that Canyon Lux, it was a really light bike. Like mm-hmm. it, it just rides a lot differently and, and it's a lot of fun, but at the same time, yeah, there's trade-offs both ways. So I don't know, I guess I'm just, I'm just in my aluminum phase yeah. right now, but it's, I'm sure it's only a phase. <laughs> right. It's not a trend. <laughs> yeah. 
mom and dad. Right, right. Every year, I want to say it's a trend. Like, oh, we saw more brands releasing alloy bikes. But, you know, looking back at and trying to be objective, like, we see this every year that, like, somebody comes out with an alloy and then they come out with a carbon mm-hmm. or they come out with the carbon first and then the alloy. Like, I, I don't think we can, I can't read much into any of that and certainly not my personal opinions. So, yeah, definitely both have pros and cons. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we kind of have hinted at some of our preferences for components uh, this year, the bikes that we tested. And some of the reasons we liked the bikes that we liked was because of the parts on them. So let's talk about some of our favorite gear. And maybe, like, let's start with components. Did you test any components this year that that really wowed you or you're impressed with? Yeah, I think... um... Trying to remember when I put these on. It was probably the very beginning of the year. So the other bike I got new last year is an Ibis Ripley AF, and mm-hmm. I was in contact with DVO to test some of their suspension. And so I put on a Sapphire D1 fork, and then mm-hmm. the Topaz rear shock. And this is the one that the Topaz that basically precedes the most current Topaz, which they sort of overhauled this summer but it's still very similar okay. and so this is my i tested a little bit of dvo here and there on uh, some review bikes not much mm-hmm. but yeah got to spend a solid amount of time on both the fork and the shock I've, yeah i've put probably close to a year of riding on it now with that ibis oh wow and yeah it's, it's just been complaint free for me um i really like the feel I wouldn't say it's outright better feel than either Fox or RockShox, but it is pretty unique and mm-hmm. yeah, just has great, great attributes yeah. to how it feels. So yeah, hmm. all around good impressions of uh, DVO Sapphire and, and Topaz Shock. Yeah, it's cool to see these other options uh, when it comes to suspension. Because like you said, most most of us, if we buy a bike, it's going to come with RockShox or Fox. And even a lot of the aftermarket is dominated by those two. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of great suspension companies out there like DVO and Cane Creek and MRP. And so, yeah, that's that's awesome to to hear that it went well for you. I mean, is this like... I don't know. How would you, is it closer to a Fox or RockShox? Like, I don't know. In my mind, I have like kind of a feeling for those two brands in terms of like what they're going to be like. Is it, is it close to one or the other? It's hard to say. I, I think this is a, a, a pretty big generalization in my experience, at least talking about the forks, RockShox, the newer stuff is great. I would say it airs more on the supportive side than sensitive and where Fox mm. is on the other end of the spectrum and their forks feel a little bit overly sensitive sometimes mm. and not supportive enough. And I'm not saying this makes the DVO Sapphire better than either. I think it's just the way that the fork is engineered and it uses uh, an internal bladder rather than a floating piston mm-hmm. to achieve like its damping effects. But it's just got a really good blend of sensitivity and support to where you get a really, you know, it's customizable off the top support system 
but you get a really, really good blend uh, or feel of sensitivity off the top of, of the fork. Um, and then if you push down into it, it, it gets supported really, really quickly. Hmm. Cool. So yeah, I, I felt like it was really, I wouldn't say easy to get to a desired setting, but you can work through it enough to find a really good uh, setting if you know what you like mm-hmm. or if you know how you like your suspension to perform on trail. Yeah. Cool. Well, so have you had to do any, like, have you rebuilt the suspension or have it serviced yet? No. Yeah. That will be the next frontier, especially going on about a year now of use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My understanding is it's, it should be pretty home friendly to service. Unlike say Olin's or Cane Creek, uh, suspension like that, Mm. which is definitely, it's a big plus for rock shocks and Fox. I think that's one of the biggest things for me is, you know, that's suspension has to be serviced at some point. Like, do you want to spend mm-hmm. 300 bucks on, you know, every year to service the suspension because it is, uh, you know, got all these whiz bangs and dials and stuff like that. <laughs> right. Like it's a big, big bonus for Fox and rock shocks is that it is much more simple and universal to service compared to a lot more of these boutique brands. So right. I haven't dug into DVO's process too much, but from a glance, it seems fairly simple. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a big part of it for a lot of people. I'm sure like thinking about that after purchase support and like, how are you going to work on it and yeah. Or can you take it somewhere? So yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So looks like you also have some other suspension on your list. You, you tested the Fox 32 taper cast. Which bike was that on? Uh, yeah, that was the, uh, Obed, my gravel bike. Oh, right. Yeah. So a whopping 50 mil of travel on that one. <laughs> Do you use it all? No, actually. <laughs> it was, uh, wow. yeah, if you set it up and everything, I, I think that fork, so to clarify, it's, uh, the Fox makes the taper cast in a 40 or a 50 mil um, option. Mm-hmm. And so I had the 50 mil option to test. And it's basically got a fit for damper on it. And the best way I can describe it is that it really feels like um, if you took 120 or 140 mil uh, Fox fork with the Fit4 damper and shrunk it to 50 mils, like that's really how that the fork damping feels. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'd have to double check this, but I don't see why not. I'm fairly certain you can put volume spacers in the air chamber because hmm. uh, it's basically built on uh, Fox 32. I don't know if I would say that it's not the same fork at all as a mountain bike Fox 32, but sure. Somebody could 3d print the right thing to put in there. Yeah. The air chamber should work out similarly, but it it really felt very close and it ramps up a lot to where I think maybe the Mm. last five mils of travel, I never really like bottomed out, which is a good thing. Yeah. And you know, that was, uh, with a big loaded down gravel bike, yeah. That's crazy. Did you have a hard time figuring out like the right pressure for that? Like, cause that is a lot of force. Like if you've got a handlebar bag on there. Right. No, it was, it was pretty simple. Yeah. Another very simple fork for me to set up. I realized that I probably had the pressure a little bit low uh, compared to the recommendations, at least when I was setting my sag, but then I 
Yeah, you and I were talking about SAG the other day, and I feel like this is where it comes into, at least on Forks, this is really where it comes into preference because I had a larger amount of SAG than the recommendation set up on this bike, but I never bottomed it out. And with it being a lighter amount of weight, resting or even dynamic weight on, on the bike, mm-hmm. I was never really like getting into too much of the travel. And plus you can change the compression so easily on it too that yeah, I had a, a good amount of support bottom out resistance on the fork the whole time. Mm, nice. Are there any drawbacks to having suspension fork on your gravel bike? Like, like, do you think you would go back or are there certain rides where you're like, no, that, I don't want that. That's going to make it worse. I actually swapped it out with my other fork last weekend. Mm. The biggest drawback is that is that it changes your geometry because it's an extra 50, uh, 50 mils of travel. And so rather than mm-hmm. Fox using your axle to crown standard gravel fork measurement um, and having that travel compress and just really steepen up your head tube angle uncomfortably, they added 50 mils. Um, okay. So it actually raises your bottom bracket and slacks your head angle a little bit when you have that fork on there. And you mm. you get a little bit more flop in your steering as well because of that. Hmm. Um, so that's the biggest drawback. So that's why I ended up putting my rigid fork back on and I'll, I'll hang on to that Fox for the next time I do like a bike packing trip or something like that. Hmm. Yeah. That's the biggest drawback. And, you know, going back, you get some of your sharper steering aspects back and more efficiency in a rigid fork for most of the riding I'm doing on that gravel bike is, it's just fine. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about how that would affect your, your geometry on a gravel bike. It seems so simple. You're right. like, I just need some suspension here, but yeah, it's going to change other stuff. And again, it's going to be trade-offs for sure. Yeah. And it was, I don't know, probably two or three more pounds than uh, a rigid carbon fork as well. So it's a good amount of outer weight. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So yeah, this year I tested a lot of tires looking back and it's actually kind of surprising like how many tires are out there i'm always like oh wait we haven't tested that tire yet you know we mostly just see like maxis and continental and schwalbe those are probably the big three brands Mm -hmm. out there and some wtbs i don't know as soon as you start making this list you realize it's a long list there actually are a lot of choices out there and so yeah, I didn't count how many tires I reviewed, but a couple of them stood out to me. You know, the Minion, the Maxxis Minion, I'll say it here, you know, it's it's still probably my favorite tire, the Minion DHF. Mm-hmm. And it comes on a lot of the test bikes that we review. But I realized I had never, none of us had ever written like a dedicated review of the tire. And so this year I did just that. And yeah, again, like, just really like that tire because it is it's so predictable like i said it comes on a lot of bikes and as soon as you get on these bikes you're like okay yes i know how this is going to corner um yeah that you can rely on it and there's so many different like configurations that you can get you know heavier casings or lighter duty ones and yeah so super versatile tire that that yeah i still really like and i finally I also realized I'd never, I don't think I'd ever bought one. Like (laughs) again, it comes on all these bikes and I get to, yeah, I get to ride it and enjoy it, but then I send the bike back and 
So yeah, I did finally pick up a Minion DHF just like a month ago at one of these sales where it was mm-hmm. like $35. Oh, like, yeah. okay, finally, I can get one. So yeah, Minion definitely was one that stood out. And then another one was um, I went through and tested a bunch of different specialized tires this year. And uh, actually, I've got one right now that I'm just wrapping up. Uh, the Renegade, I think, uh, which is like a cross country tire. Mm-hmm. Like basically I've made it through all their trail tires and now I'm, I'm, this will be the last one. I think this is the cross country tire and I'm done. But, <laughs> um, the purgatory was it's, you know, there's a lot of tires that I would describe as minion esque. And I don't know if that's like on purpose, like where they're, you know, trying to, copy it a little bit or get something that performs like the minion but the purgatory you know to me it, it's a similar tire it's very good control uh for cornering it i ran it as a front tire i'm actually running it as a rear now just to see how it does but um yeah that's that's a one tire that the purgatory is probably my favorite of the specialized tires uh, that i've tested I don't know. Have you have you ridden that one or any of the other specialized tires? I just um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, before I went to Moab a couple of weeks ago, I needed to put new tires on, uh, swapping wheels out too, and I'd had a uh, aggressor and then uh, yeah, the Maxis aggressor and then uh, the Asegi uh, up front, and mm. I swapped them out for a Versus in the rear, an extra one I'd had for a while and then a specialized butcher up front, which I guess you could say mm-hmm. is uh, similar to a DHF. And I really like it. Yeah. I've got the butcher and a 2.6 up front on my Canfield and mm. 2.6 is as wide as I'd ever want yeah. on a, a tire, uh, especially up front, but it's such a confident tire for up front mm-hmm. and that you can really just stick it anywhere and it's, it's going to grip and, kind of pull you where it wants to go or not necessarily where it wants to go, but where you tell it where you want it to go. Yeah. It's a great front tire. Yeah. Yeah. That one too. They have, they have like the T nine, which is like the sticky, sticky rubber version. And yeah. Yeah. I think some of the other tires I tested maybe have the, that sticky rubber and it's like, you can hear the pebbles like pinging your frame because everything <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> sticks into it. Yeah. It's crazy how grippy that stuff is, but also fast wearing. Uh, so yeah, totally. keep that in mind. Yeah. Another one I tested this year was the new updated Maxxis Forecaster. Okay. And that's a tire that's been around for many years, but Maxxis just like revamped it. And I think in part to kind of set it aside as a, wait for it, down country tire. <laughs> right. And the changes that they made, I, I think were really great. Like they really improved the tire in terms of like how well it grips. And again, like for me, cornering, cornering is, it's probably something that I'm not great at. And so when I have a tire that helps me corner better, like that's going to be a tire that I gravitate mm-hmm. toward. So um, the forecaster definitely is like more poised and confident maybe, or at least I'm more poised. I don't know. I, I guess I can't say the tire is poised, but, um, yeah, makes me feel more poised. Yeah. There you go. Yet is still like nice and fast rolling and not super heavy, mm-hmm. uh, like a minion. I mean, the minion is, 
whew, it's a heavy tire and I'm usually willing to make that trade off. But if I've got like a lighter weight bike, like a, a down country or even a cross country, you know, just to make it like a little more capable, I think the forecaster is, is a really good choice. Nice. Yeah. I tried it that on Canis earlier this spring. It's kind of a knobbier cross country tire and I really like that, but it was a, a faster wearing tire. That's for sure. Mm, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's we, yeah. We want to get like the stickiest one we can, but what they don't tell you is it wears out faster. Yeah. Yeah. You look <laughs> after like two months and you're like, man, my tire's like almost done. That's <laughs> kind of yeah. sucks. Right. Right. And then we blame the tire a lot of times like, Oh, they use some cheap material or whatever, but yeah, that's, that's what you asked for. You yeah, wanted exactly. it to stick and it stuck to the ground yeah. and you left it behind. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So yeah, we also, we talked about drivetrain stuff and um, yeah, you tested Axis transmission, SRAM's uh, new, new drivetrain system. You tested the XO version, I think on that. It was on the Rebel. Yeah. Um, yep. That, that yeah. was. Uh, yeah. What'd you, what'd you think? Uh, it, it's great. Yeah. For what it is. I mean, there was a huge buzz when transmission released for good reason. I can't think of any, I can think of drawbacks to the system as a whole, but I can't say I had any complaints about its performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I think it's a very sensible direction for drivetrains to go. Um, and it's funny. I was listening to the podcast you did with John Calendrill, mm-hmm. who designed Vivo and has worked with different drivetrain companies over the years. And it, and it is funny um, thinking about, yeah, why are bikes still one of the only vehicles that uses like this fully external drivetrain right. on? Um, yeah. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, but I don't see that going away anytime soon, especially right. the transmission. I just see those external drivetrains getting better. Yeah, definitely. Right. I was, I thought about that comment too. Like, yeah, at the time I was, I didn't, didn't make much of it, but you know, I thought about it more and it's like, well, I, I mean, obviously the reason that we have this external, like fragile sort of drivetrain is because it weighs less. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's like, there's these internally geared hubs, there's pinions and they have all these advantages of being like lower maintenance mm-hmm. and more durable. And, you know, th- you can shift them easier. I mean, like pretty much everything about them is better except for the weight. Right. And so, you know, and it's weird because we've talked about this and as a trend for at least five years now and at saying that like as mountain bikers, we seem to care less about bike, like, or about weight every year. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing like overall bike weights creep up as we add dropper posts and, you know, more travel or more durable materials. Um, but the drivetrain is, is one area where we haven't seen that necessarily though. I think transmission, it does, it does weigh a little more than like even access before it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that was one of the biggest, it might've been the biggest first impression I had was uh, pulling that bike out of the box. And I mean, the derailleurs for transmission are absolutely huge compared to yeah, they're uh, massive. 
yeah, compared to uh, hanger mounted derailleur, they're big. And mm-hmm. I think SRAM engineered a lot of uh, that weight and the over engineered, overbuilt aspect to it on purpose, just, <laughs> or maybe even to give consumers peace of mind um, in moving from yeah. a hanger, which can be swapped out really quickly on the trail, to something that, like, if you're buying a bike with transmission, you need to have that peace of mind that it's just not going to break if you smack it a, a, on a rock or a tree or something. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we're Sam James, one of our contributors, uh, he and I were talking recently about the, um, what was it called? The, the loud super. Uh-huh. Yeah. Supre. Yeah. Supre. Yeah. That drivetrain, um, where they like, basically tucked the derailleur like inside the, not inside the frame, but like tucked it back and, and kind of got it out of harm's way mm-hmm. um, and had to do a lot of engineering to like get the derailleur into this different position. But yeah, I mean, again, that was trying to address the same thing, which is like these derailleurs are real fragile. And when we're mountain biking, like they are, there's a good chance they're going to get smacked and they're going to get messed up. Yeah, Totally. Yeah, which is a really cool bike and uh, cool to see uh, Cedric, who, yeah, we did a story on maybe last year or earlier this year, coming to production on at least one bike by now, Nikolai. But mm-hmm. then that's the drawback of that system is having to engineer the bike around that drivetrain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's never easy. Like we've kind of, because these things have been standardized for so long, you know, we've kind of built built that into all the bike frames and you know talk about that standardization i mean that's what we're seeing is this shift to the universal derailleur hanger um that this was kind of the big year where everybody finally started paying attention and was like oh huh like maybe that is something i should look at but trim has been they've been telegraphing this for like four years i think like 2019 Mm is when the standard came out and they were starting to nudge bike companies to like use this standard. And so, um, yeah, that's been interesting to see. Like I know when I was looking for a bike this summer, cause I had a, a GX GX transmission group in for test and I was trying to figure out like what bike could I put it on? And none of my bikes that I own right. were compatible. And so I was like, trying to find one I could buy because I needed to buy a new bike anyway. And what I found at that time was, you know, there's all these bikes that have been on sale uh, for a long time. You could get some great prices, but the ones with transmission or sorry, with UDH uh, were a lot of times were not on sale. <laughs> and so it was like, price. yeah. So it was kind of like maybe even consumers are telling these brands like, no, I really want the one with, with UDH. Um, Mm-hmm. which again, like it, there's really, there's only two drivetrains that use it. Right. And they're both SRAM transmission <laughs> that actually need UDH, right. like any other drivetrain is going to work on it, including access, including, you know, all the Shimano stuff, obviously. So, um, yeah, but it will be interesting to see like, where do we go from there? Like now that this is a standard, will we see other companies starting to, to take advantage of that. Yeah, totally. Yep. 
I, I talked about it a little bit earlier uh, this year when we were doing transmission reviews and bike reviews and, and things like that. And I still wish there was a cable version of uh, transmission um, to where we could still have the robustness of direct mount shifting, but without the expense of electronic shifting. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I think some commenters maybe questioned the point then, but I know it was at least validated by a bike engineer <laughs> who said that that's <laughs> if SRAM had come out with a cable operated version, they would have designed their e-bike around it, <laughs> but it was, you know, it increases the MSRP of a bike so much that it wasn't a good, uh, fit for them. Um, Mm. So, yeah, yeah. It, SRAM's always kind of trickled down their technology into lower price points, and even GX. I mean, it's still what nine hundred thousand dollars for a GX transmission group set. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to say. Hard to say what they're going to do, and it really seems likely that Shimano is going to have some direct mount answer for. Uh, drivetrain as well and maybe they'll be the ones to come out with a really affordable direct mount drivetrain yeah yeah that was one of the questions i asked john in our podcast was about like how far down can these electronic drivetrains go Mm -hmm. in terms of pricing like are we going to see you know like an sx level um like electronic drivetrain at any point and you know his thought was like probably not you know i mean there is a floor at which like you can't can't make it you know lower the price any lower you know maybe it's hopefully it's less than 900 bucks or a thousand bucks but yeah there's always going to be this need for like a, a mechanical system and mechanical systems we have are not perfect at all and that's kind of what you know what we hope to see is that they get better over time. And yeah, I'm, I hope we're not just like jumping to electronics and being like, okay, that's our answer to everything. And like, we just stop trying to make the mechanical ones better because those will always exist. Those will always need to be on the like, you know, $2,000 bikes and even $3,000 bikes, which is, that's a lot of money. That's not, that's not cheap. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. It's a big markup with you. Yep. Yeah. And other drivetrain news, there was that classified drivetrain, uh, which basically they took a, like a 12 speed cassette and mounted it with their own internally geared hub with, that has two speeds. So basically you have, you get 24 speeds, but you still don't have a front derailleur, which is nice. It's mm-hmm. kind of a one by system. Um, and their internally geared hub is uh electronic so like no wires um seems like a really interesting solution and they they did a lot of stuff so that they could keep the weight roughly in line with like a regular you know shimano xt or you know i forget what the shram level was maybe gx ish weight i think it weighs a little bit more but it gives you yeah obviously a lot more gears and smoother transitions between shifts i'd love to try it i i still don't i don't think i want to go back though to having like a separate right controller for for my shifting yeah i don't know how much i'd use it um in most instances where i am on a really really steep 
climb. The granny gear is enough, a 51, 52 tooth, mm-hmm. depending on the chain ring. 30 is usually enough <laughs> to get me by. <laughs> yeah. And then once you're out of that, it's like how, yeah, how often do you really use your granny gear anyway? I don't know. Right. Yeah. This, I mean, I think for me, because part of what they had to do to compromise was they they made their own cassette basically to like save weight and it it doesn't have like that huge 52 tooth ring on it so if you did and you paired that with this internal hub yeah you would have like crazy gear range which to your point like yeah maybe a lot of people don't need that um but yeah it is an interesting option especially as yeah we see like I don't know. There are a lot more drivetrain options now and electronic ones too, uh, which this kind of pairs like electronic and mechanical. So it's definitely cool to see people innovating. Yeah. Yeah. Might as well try new things. Yeah. So yeah, another, I guess kind of moving on. Oh, you, you also tested some alloy reserve wheels that were pretty sweet yeah tell us about those yeah they were they came out this year the right yeah it was um reserves yeah alloy 30 sl uh like trail wheels which i think mm-hmm. alloy as a whole was new to reserve right yeah aside from you know there's brands like industry nine which do really really well by being kind of like a boutique wheel brand with alloy wheels but it mm-hmm. still feels like because carbon has that status over aluminum people, when they upgrade wheels, it seems like they always go for a uh, carbon wheel, um, right. at least in a lot of cases. And it's funny now because the weights between carbon and alloy are almost the same, like mm. on a comparable trail bike wheel or enduro wheel. If you look at, uh, carbon rim weight and um, or carbon wheel weight and an aluminum wheel weight, the weight difference is pretty negligible. Mm-hmm. And uh, with alloy and a good build, uh, good tension and a good rim design, it's like the trade-offs are pretty, pretty nice for alloy and that it's way more forgiving. Mm-hmm. You worry about flat tires less. You worry about like a catastrophic wheel failure less than you would with mm-hmm. carbon. And so that, yeah, the reserve wheels ended up being really great, like very compliant and then laterally very stiff. I think, so they came with a DT Swiss 350 hub, which just for the sake of engagement is not my favorite hub. That's, I think DT has always been, their hubs have just always had lower engagement for the most part. And they've always been really reliable. But I think just for the amount of technical climbing that I do, I prefer a a faster engaging hub. Mm -hmm. To me, that was the one drawback about the wheel as a total, but yeah, still just a respectable weight for an alloy set of wheels, really good performance Mm -hmm. downhill, really comfortable descending on an enduro bike when you're smashing over a bunch of rocks and little rocks and and stuff like that. And they held up really well Mm -hmm. over the season. Yeah. That's good to know, like, because I think a lot of people would be willing to, you know, when buying a, a nice set of wheels, would be willing to put more of their money maybe into the hub than the rims, right? Like when you buy a 
set of carbon rims or, or carbon wheels, um, especially if you're looking at that like $1,500 range, which there are a lot of great wheels at that range. But the way that they keep that price lower is by like not using as nice of a hub. And so, um, yeah, if you can, if you can get a wheel set, that's like got a really nice hub, but alloy rims, I think a lot of people would see that as like a really good value. So yeah, it's too bad that, that the reserves don't, do they have an option for like a, like a hydro hub or, or some kind of upgraded one? I don't think this particular one did. And I think people would differentiate like the DT Swiss 350 is a good hub and DTs are always, I mean, they're so reliable. People don't often have problems with them, right? but they've always lacked engagement. I think you can buy an upgrade to a different ratchet ring to where you can increase the engagement, but then at best it's still only like six or seven degrees hmm. down from the 10 degrees was the engagement on these 350s, mm-hmm. uh, which is not great. Right. <laughs> But a good price, uh, 700 for the wheel set. That's with 350s and the reserve SL uh, rims, 30 SLs. So, yeah, I guess it's just, yeah, unfortunately, they don't have another hub choice with that one, I don't believe. But it's kind of like take your pick. Like, you know, you're going to get a reliable hub. You don't have to worry about that much at the same time. Mm -hmm. If you want a higher, faster engaging hub, then you might want something else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of thinking too of the stands arch Mm -hmm. alloy wheels that I reviewed this year and on those, they, they definitely did kind of make that trade off for you where like, yes, they're alloy rims, but they're going to give you like a really good hub. And I was, I was surprised actually uh, how nice the hub is. Like I'd never really heard much about their hub system, but yeah, like tons of engagement and still like under a thousand bucks for the set. So you're definitely saving some money with the the alloy rims. And again, yeah, I guess because I'm on that alloy kick, maybe that's why I was into it. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did they feel more comfortable as a whole to you compared to carbon? Or I guess how would you describe it? Yeah, I mean, they, they're actually, they, they are still, diff like Mm -hmm. i feel like carbon wheels i mean there's actually there's a quite a range of carbon wheels because each brand is going to kind of tune them the way that they want some want them very stiff some want them more compliant yeah i would say these are on the stiffer side but yeah but again it's like i just want to be able to ride and not worry about like having my pressure too low and i'm gonna chip chip the rim or yeah anything like that you know if if anything if i get a ding i'll try to bend it out like yeah just seems seems like a better better choice for me in my life right now yeah right simple is good yeah yep definitely so um yeah i tried a few accessories this year that uh that i really enjoyed one of them and yeah i'll go through these briefly because yeah, they're just accessories. We covered the important stuff, bikes, right. components. But yeah, I tried for my hurricane trip this year. You know, this is a like 360-mile bikepacking trip mm-hmm. um, where you spend a couple of nights out. And so this year I took a, a bivy instead of a tent, like to save weight and space. And uh, the one I chose was the OR Helium bivy. 
and it worked out great. Like I was kind of surprised slash well, I was worried to start and then I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I thought maybe I'd feel a little like claustrophobic in it Mm -hmm. or whatever, but yeah, I think I was just so tired that I was like, Oh, I will sleep anywhere. Right. But yeah, but after doing it, a few friends were like, Oh, actually I might try that uh, next year. So yeah, I think a lot of times we think of bivvies as like emergency shelters. Um, good to have, especially if you're doing like bike pack racing where you're hoping to maybe not spend the night out or like sleep, you know, for eight hours or whatever you normally would do. But yeah, I found for like just a couple nights out, it's a great choice. And, and the, the OR bivy is, is a solid one for sure. Not too heavy very quality construction on it. Yeah. I saw some pictures of it. It seems like there's a lot of advantages or advantages compared to backpacking tent. Does it seem, does it, would the design hold off rain? Well, (laughs) uh, well maybe. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it full on rained. We probably got missed and yeah, I'm a terrible person to ask about that because I, I've done a lot of camping over the years. Let me preface this: I've never found a tent that I'm like, oh yeah, this I stayed nice and dry in this tent. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like every tent I have ever owned or used or whatever in a rainstorm, like I'm gonna get wet. Uh-huh. So I guess my expectations are low, and I don't assume it's gonna keep me dry anyway. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What's your experience like? Have you? Do you have a tent that is your go-to and that keeps you super dry? Hmm. Well, it's funny because uh, one of the backpacking, bikepacking tents I reviewed this year, that was, it did get stuck in a rainstorm and we did have some leakage into the tent. I'm trying to think. I've been really fortunate to, most of the times I've gone camping over the past couple summers, it didn't get stuck in the rain. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. I, I, I'm just wondering, like, is there, does it come with a rain fly on that bivy? It does not. Okay. No. Um, but it does, as I recall, it does have like a nice floor system, right? Like a lot of mm. these lightweight tents or sleep systems, like they have a separate footprint that like a lot of times it doesn't even come with that. And, and then when you do bring it, it like doubles the weight of the thing. This does have like a nice floor in it that I was pretty confident in like keeping me dry. Okay. Um, at least from the bottom, like the top for sure, you've got fabric, like you can't avoid it touching you. Right. Like, and that's the biggest thing in a tent is soon as you like brush up against the side of a tent, like you're usually going to start getting wet right? either from the condensation inside, or I guess sometimes it can kind of, they call it wetting out. But, um, yeah, so this you would probably get wet like in that situation, but okay, you would stay dry enough and warm enough like in a downpour that like you're not going to be <laughs> not going to be like at risk of hypothermia or right. anything. So yeah, and I guess yeah, the good thing about that design too is that it's made for one person and it's I mean it's coffin esque, so it would uh, <laughs> yeah. it would keep you warm. Like it would probably hold your body heat in there pretty well. Right. Yep. Yeah. But you're not going to, it's not like sleeping at the Ritz Carlton. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
So, and then another thing that I really enjoyed testing was this uh, Hover Air drone. And it's, we get a lot of like weird emails from people saying like, hey, do you want to test this Mm -hmm. thing? And yeah, from brands we've never heard of or uh, brands overseas. And we usually, I usually ignore those. But this one, I was like, huh, this drone looks interesting. So yeah, I tested this, it's like a $400 drone and I've always wanted a drone, but know that I am like not going to take the time to learn how to fly it. (laughs) Yeah, right. And that's dangerous because then I'm just going to crash it and it's going to be a waste of money. So what I liked about this one is it it basically flies itself. It's got a lot of like intelligent features built into it where it'll like, it takes off from your hand and then you can just tell it, what do you want it to do? Like, do you want it to follow you? Do you want it to just like go up in the air and shoot video pointing down. Um, and so, yeah, and it's like foldable, super portable. So you could, I fit it in like a hip pack okay. and brought it on rides. Um, and it gets decent amount of flying time per battery and you can bring extra batteries if you want to do a lot of video. But yeah, overall I was like super impressed with it. I didn't, I didn't think it would work. I was very skeptical about like how it would fly and if it would be super buggy but um, yeah, it's awesome. And I, I would definitely take it over a GoPro mm. or something else. Like if I was really serious about filming a ride. Yeah. Some of the other drones, like the DJI Mavic and I don't know what else out there, but some of the other ones I've seen, they're big. Like they have a big case oh, yeah. and you need a full size hydration pack, um, maybe even more to actually fit it in if you're going to bring it on a ride. So mm-hmm. It's nice to yeah. have something that you can fit in a hip pack. Yeah. Yeah. It's about, it's about as thick as like two decks of cards. Um, and then like the size of a smartphone. Okay. So yeah, real, real small. And w- what I like too, you know, we went out to Arkansas. Um, I went out with, with Daniel Palma, one of our contributors, and he had a drone with him and we had plans to like shoot, cool drone photos at like a number of trail systems. And uh, once we got out to these places, he had a DJI and it would not allow him to take off. Like the (sighs) software has all these like no fly zones built into it um, for various security reasons. Like one time we were near an interstate. So we think maybe that's why you can't fly over a highway. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there were, we got, I was very frustrated, like that we couldn't take pictures in these places. But then I went back with this hover air drone and yeah, I was able to shoot photos. Obviously I wasn't able to like go as high or have as much control as, mm-hmm. as the DJI and the, the video quality is probably not as good, but you know, compared to most of the stuff that people are getting with their GoPros, like it's, it's more than enough. So yeah, I really like that. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. So what about you? Any accessories or bike bags or anything like that that you enjoyed this year? Yeah. I'm trying to think about that. Yeah. I had an Evoc hydration vest that uh, I tested recently. I've really gone to like, I think they're, it's just a, a nice different style of bag. Like you have to put up with a little bit more back sweat. That's, you know, just, you can't get around that on the hydration vest, but they're really light and they are really balanced compared to a full hydration pack, which always seems to bounce a little bit 
or can throw off your um, center of gravity or a hip pack, which mm-hmm. I've yet to find a hip pack that doesn't bounce around a little bit uh, just because of the design. Yeah, they bounce. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's, I like testing that. And the other thing I like about that is that you can just drink while you're pedaling. You take out your tube and mm-hmm. suck some water down and uh, just, yeah, you don't have to fiddle with a bottle or bring that out or anything like that. Right. What else? Hmm. I'm sure there are. Yeah. I mean, speaking of bags, like I, I've been known to not like riding with bags and even hip packs are not ideal at all. Like you said, yeah. they bounce around, like they tug on your stomach, especially yes. yeah. like, cause that's right where it is and all the weight is there. So yeah, I'll admit those are not great either. What I've been trying to use more like frame bags right. and, and like mini frame bags, not like a full on bike packing thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, one of the trends that I've noticed that I really appreciate is uh, a lot of the newer bikes have these like mounts on the frames now where you can put like little mini frame bags and yep. tool pouches and that kind of thing. So yeah, it, all of those that I test, I, I tend to really like them. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the things that the Canyon had, it had, um, what came with a little bags about the size, uh, perfect size to put a tube and a tool in maybe a CO2. Mm. And then it had a uh, mount, which you could bolt inside the frame. Um, so yeah, very specially designed, mm-hmm. which is nice that my Canfield has none of that in the, uh, the water bottle mounts are on the bottom of the frame. So it's like, I don't know, I kind of have to go to great lengths to put any cargo on the bike. And, um, right. so the vest is, the vest is where it's at for me <laughs> right now. Yeah. Yeah. That thing looks really cool. Like really sleek and yeah. Not like it's going to bother you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about, uh, any other, any other accessories that come to mind? Some sleeping equipment, bikepacking equipment that uh, that I checked out that was that was pretty nice. Um, yeah, I don't know what else. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. So we tested a ton of stuff this year for sure. It, it's hard <laughs> hard to remember mm-hmm. all the things that we checked out, but. Uh, obviously we've, we've got that content on the website and everything that we talked about here today. Uh, if you're listening to this, you can go to the website and we'll have links to the full reviews. We'll have photos. We'll have all that stuff. Um, if you want to see more, I'm stoked for 2024, hopefully for more bikes next year that we can test. What do you say? Yeah. Yeah. And I think just stabler, stabler, industry conditions too. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. LinkedIn is never really a, it's sometimes it's too positive, uh, to get on there. It's, <laughs> it's a bad amount of positivity, but there's been a lot of industry layoffs and stuff that, uh, yeah. Friends are being laid off or you see a lot of people mm-hmm. get laid off at, uh, bike companies and stuff. And it's been a rough year for that. So, um, yeah, hopefully a better year for the industry. Maybe. Yeah. Hopefully for sure. Yeah. Once we get this all, everything back to normal ish. Yeah. It's been kind of like a whipsaw mm-hmm. the last few years, but yeah, it'll be nice to get back to normal, get back to business, uh, testing product and, and seeing new products released. So yeah. 
We'll be sure to cover all of that and more uh, next year on singletracks.com and also here on the podcast. We're going to keep uh, talking about our favorite gear and also uh, talking to the folks who design our favorite items. Well, that's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>